something that you reminded me of is that when we speak about evil, it's not a Star Wars, it's not good against evil only. Isn't there something with Antichrist that sometimes God sends the devil, as Luther would say. Many people come to Christ through being led to the ultimate despair. Things are pushed to this edge in order for people to wake up. I think you're absolutely right. And that's right out of the scripture. If you read the book of Revelation, that's his role. The Antichrist is sent by God in order to sort, sort the Christians out, in order to bring the ultimate test, which will... You know, you could spin it in a negative way and say, oh, it's, he's just coming to damn people. But this is, the, this is the misunderstanding of the doctrine of election, divine election. The point of the Antichrist is he's the test that will produce the genuine Christian who will be impelled into resistance by this pseudo-Christ. So I think that's exactly the point, right? This is not Star Wars. But the thing that, that, that strikes me about the, the social media approach to the consumption is that it really underscores the point that at the heart of consumer desire is imagination. You know, this is what this variation of yourself is about. You imagine yourself in different contexts. You, you want to be able to create yourself endlessly. You don't want to be bound by materiality or reality. Instead, you want a fantasy. And this fantasy is the secret of consumerism. Consumer desire is endless because it's not fed by reality, it's fed by imagination, and there's no limits to imagination. For this reason, it doesn't bottom out in boredom. It just keeps going. And it keeps going because it has us all convinced that illusion is better than reality. So this selling of illusion, how do you counteract that? Well, clearly by resisting. And the resistance will take the form of preferring reality to imagination. Even the reality that's ugly, even the reality that's unpleasant. Physical death and illness and limitations and fragility, the reality of human existence on this earth, or even the reality of our degraded planet, the reality of a planet in which the wilderness is shrinking or disappearing so that it really only exists in small little pockets of national parks or whatever. The reality of our ugly cities, the reality of all that we've sacrificed to automobility, for example, uh, the reality of, of how we've sacrificed the bird community to our pets. We'd prefer to have domesticated cats than all the great variety of birds in the world. So where, where there's a resistance to this offer of infinite imagination and illusion over reality, where there's a decision for the real over the illusion, we see signs of the secular Christ, particularly insofar as that resistance constellates a community. That makes a lot of sense to me, but I also think that links back to when we discussed the role of psychoanalysis. I very much like Freud, you know, in, in, in the work of analysis, that it's about the reality principle. I mean, also re-establishing a reality principle to turn neurotic, sort of imaginary suffering into maybe real life misery sounds very pessimistic but it seems to be the cure i mean it seems to be part of the cure i should say to yeah. see reality as it is i was also thinking when we are looking for secular christ looking for the church day we are seeking we are searching and and in a way we don't have to go far 
I mean, uh, me, my, myself, walking uh, from home to, to my practice every day, I walk by, by the church where outside on Thursday, they give out food for people. I just feel like you don't have to go far. Every day, I have at least three or four people coming up to me, asking me for money. I don't have to go far to see secular Christ. I don't have to go far to be revealed the reality of things. It seems like that uh, conversation with, with the reality of others is, is the cure. It's certainly the form of the Christ. And so when we, we spoke about various figures who were speaking about Christ, we spoke about Peterson and Zizek, and we found some things that are interesting there. We haven't really given very many positive examples of figures in our era who have totally embraced this form. We'll find them if we look. One who has recently caught my attention is Simon Weil, who died in the Second World War of starvation because of her identification with the soldiers on the front. She refused to eat anything more than they were eating. She was a brilliant young woman. She died in her 30s, and she kept copious notebooks. She never identified with the church. She never entered the church. She was raised in an atheist culture. Uh, she was initially a Marxist, but had certain experiences, we could call them mystical, in which she discovered that God was not in the world. He was beyond the world. But the way to come into union with the God who is beyond the world is by becoming entirely resigned and surrendered to the darkest, most painful necessities of this world, which she called affliction. Affliction, which is more than suffering, it's Affliction is the experience of one who has been crushed. It's the experience of the bug under the boot, the, when there is no, nowhere to go. Now, one can always prefer one's imagination to the ugly necessities of life. One can fantasize oneself out of the afflicted experience. Or one can embrace it like the Christ did, allow oneself uh, to be crucified to it, and what Vi argued is that in this preferring of the real to the imaginary, in moments of affliction, we, in fact, experience the redemption. We experience the Christ in a visceral, vital, and undeniable way. And she herself experienced it. So she's one dramatic example. We could also talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who was pretty safe in England, doing his theological work in exile from Nazi Germany, but chose to go back to Germany in the midst of the war in order to lend support to the shrinking Christian churches, the authentic Christian communities who were resisting the Nazification of Christianity and was executed in prison. It was from prison that he wrote some of his most powerful theology, including his thesis of religionless Christianity. So if we have now entered into an age when religion is no longer a compelling form of existence for most of the developed world, we need to accept this and move into a religionless phase of Christianity. We need to be Christians without religion. Clearly, his point is that the Christ is, as I've said, not only at home in a mature secular age, but thriving there. And we simply need to look more carefully at places where he might be. So where we have the preference for reality over imagination, over fantasy, on the one hand, and where this sanctity constellates community, because mm. wherever two or three are gathered, there he will be, which I think means he's not so visible without the community. 
the common life. So now I think of things like the countless ecological communities arising around the world, communities of resistance, communities that have broken with consumerism, that are refusing consumerism, communities of people who are choosing to live otherwise. I don't simply mean the off-grid eco-community, but certainly some of those. But there are other things going on too that get no press. So if you Google, for example, new monasticism, you'll find fascinating accounts of organizations in American cities of individuals who have decided to group together in order to have a common life, in order to care for the, the least among them, in order to practice a sharing of goods that will allow them to disengage from consumption and to be quiet points of resistance to the logic of the world. more well-known figures like Greta Thunberg. Do you see secular Christ also in there? Fridays for Future. Greta Thunberg has become a superstar of the climate change movement. So one has to be wary of a kind of co-opting of that very genuine young woman's intention when she started her Fridays for Future by protesting going to school. I wonder if she still is who she was. I, I, I don't want to be critical whatsoever, but we have to be careful because Antichrist is very sneaky, right? So he'll take whatever it is that attracts us to the good, to the real, and he'll turn it into its opposite, or he'll turn it into a seduction into the imaginary and the unreal. I'm very critical of signs that say, save the planet, all the saving the planet. So this nonsense, planet's fine. It's going to be just fine. It's, the planet is compatible with all kinds of atmospheric conditions that are not conducive to life. We had much more intense carbon dioxide in the air 60 million years ago than we do now. So the planet is not at issue. It's our civilization that's at issue. And I, I say this to my students when I'm teaching environmental issues. Stop talking about the planet. Start talking about civilization. Do you love your civilization? Are there parts of it that you would prefer not to carry forward? Are you trying to preserve consumerism forever? What could be more horrible than 300 more years of consumerism? What would that even look like? We've got to watch out that we don't get taken off subject by Antichrist. One thing that I find telling, but also somehow important, it seems to me it's the children or the young ones that has to own the reality principle, while us adults are running around living the illusion. At least if we look at, let's say, put Greta Thunberg against Trump, for example, or against any world leader, actually, like, you know, imagining, we can imagine ourselves out of this, or we can build this, or we can find new solutions on another planet. What do I know? How children has to be the ones who carry the reality principle? Well, it's interesting because we associate children with, as yeah. you say, fantasy and imagination, but we don't understand the psychology of the child. Children have a nose for the truth, but you can trick them once, but they will not persist in the lie. They have an instinct for a reality, which I think is, is something we need to recognize. And so Christ told us that we should become as children, we should pray as children. So this kind of substitution of imagination for reality is not something childlike. It's actually much more nefariously adult. It's, it's the perversion 
of the narcissist who would prefer his avatars to real people because he can manipulate them. There's something, let's say, satanic about it. Satan rules over this structure, not Christ. You make me think of another point. You talk about the children bearing a burden, but there's, a, there's another issue here too, which is the poor who will suffer the worst results of climate change. We talk about the reality of our moment as we move towards COP26. It's fairly clear that we're going to miss the targets. And it's also fairly clear what it means to miss the targets of 1.5 degrees. There's far too much accurate modeling of what a four-degree world looks like, which is where we're heading for the end of this century, not very far away. Uh, so all of this is available for us to, to consider. And it's not an imagination. It's a projection of what reality shall be if we don't turn from our path. And we are not turning from our path. So the, the news I heard yesterday moving up to COP26 is we have to cut our carbon consumption in half if we're to meet the targets. And in the last year, we've doubled it. So we're doing exactly what we shouldn't do. So how does this work? Well, I think it works by virtue of people choosing imagination over reality, but also maybe even more insidiously making a calculation that I'm not going to suffer this. This is not going to be in me and my family. Yeah, maybe if, if Florida is swampland, I'll, I'll move to uh, Oregon. And if that becomes desert, I'll move up to British Columbia. I've got the resources. Me and my gang will be fine. What happens in Bangladesh? What happens in Africa? What happens in, even in you know, the certain parts of the Americas, which are going to become desert? Well, that's not my concern. The poor will carry this one. And so I think that we, if you want to go to the front lines of climate change and have a sober experience of the reality of a four-degree world, we should spend a little time in some of these communities of people who have no resources and cannot leave places of environmental degradation. I'm talking about the trash pickers. I'm talking about the, the people who are trying to raise crops and rapidly desertifying lands where agriculture is no longer tenable or they have nowhere else to go. Condemned to starvation and death by our actions. And somehow, on some level, we know that, or at least we ought to know it. And you know, Thomas Aquinas said that the logic of sin is not to look at the thing you shouldn't do and go ahead and do it. That's not what we do. Rather, the logic of sin is to not look at the thing we shouldn't do. In other words, to turn your eyes away. Turn your eyes away. Do not, do not allow yourself to think this through. Sweep it under the table so you can get what you want and continue on the path that you're on without interference from your conscience. Because the force of the good is too much. If we looked at the good directly, we would be compelled to change. And so don't look. Don't look. I also want to say something about what you said about the planet versus civilization, because I think that's a very important point that it touches upon something where my skepticism or my cynicism around uh, Fridays for Future or these movements, it seems to me at times that there is almost like putting the planet against people. Or like this yes. seems to me kids today or young adults today, they have a love for nature or for the animals or for the planet, but, but they, they don't trust humans anymore. Or they despise exactly. them, or they don't like them. Yes. The children are losing the hope there in 
in the, in the human and putting their hope to saving nature. What about that? That's the move of Antichrist, isn't it? So you take this authentically ethical gesture of concern for the environmental conditions of our time, and you turn it into a hatred of humanity. What could be better? Antichrist laughs. The other thing, of course, is that while the environmental movement is committed to saving the world without us, it has no chance of becoming politics. Why would the political will of the world unanimously gather around an agenda that actually offers it nothing? They're not going to. It's just going to remain some fringe politics on the left. While this issue remains a politicized issue, we're doomed. It has to become something that every side of the political spectrum can own, including the right. It's very dark, but that was what we were told was going to happen. So we weren't promised a life without struggle. And what we were told is that the best would become co-opted by the worst, and that the virtues introduced into the world by the Christ, freedom, for example, personal development, futural existence, the subjectivity of Christianity, faithful, hopeful, anticipatory, that this extraordinary form of human being would become co-opted, would turn into a death-dealing consumer machine. That was what we were told was going to happen. So despair is not an option. That's not on the agenda. Neither is optimism. The Christian lives in hope of an outcome that will exceed his or her wildest expectations, even as it exceeds his or her capacity to bring it about. That's why Christian hope is not utopian. But neither do you become passive and simply sit around waiting for God to come. No, you've got to give yourself entirely to the cause. You want to become a means towards the production of justice. And I think we are seeing this to some degree in these new forms of community life, micro-communities of resistance, of anonymous Christianity, we could say, invoking Karl Rahner's rather unpopular term, anonymous Christian communities, that is, communities that are actually enacting the form of the Christ without naming him as such by resisting the Antichrist. We have to be careful that when each one of these places of of, uh, positivity is beset by the energy of the Antichrist and can turn into its opposite so quickly. So it's these forms of life that are most at risk, you could say. And one has to be careful as one embraces them. One has to be on the guard, ever watching for the thing becoming the opposite of itself.